This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode of Bushwick Breakaway is brought to you by you. That's right, you, the listener. Thank you so much for listening, supporting, and everything out there. Honestly, really great podcast today. Amazing interview with Richard Migliori, who a, was a jockey for 30 years. And I know we joke about having a horse racing podcast, but he absolutely knocks it out of the park. A totally great interview. And Greg and I get into the, the nitty-gritty of talking hockey. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's, it's just, I don't know. It's great to be back talking sports. And I know it might only be a limited time with the Rangers. Hopefully, you know, it's the whole way to the cup. But I'm, I'm going to enjoy it while we ride. That's what we're doing. So here's the podcast. Let's get to it, shall we? Tran- transition? Transition early. Okay, let's get to the show. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to the week of the Bushes Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan of The Athletic. Also, Greg, say hello. I, I learned, I knew, I think I knew this going into this, but I, I've, it's been, it's been reaffirmed today. Okay. I, I, I was going to say, uh, I'm just always in a better mood when we do the interview first. And we have an absolutely phenomenal interview with uh, Rich Migliori coming up. Yep. Champion jockey. Naira analyst, as he said, the man, former champion jockey, and as we said uh, many weeks ago, we are now officially in New York Rangers, the number one New York Rangers podcast that also heavily features the New York Mets and and horse racing. Despite Ryan, no, it either. I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. It's a New York Met podcast mm-hmm. with a side heap of horse racing. Okay. That masquerades as a Rangers. A podcast. scoop, a scoop of horse racing <laughs> in a Rangers costume. Got it. Yeah, some... I, I will say, I will say, uh, since baseball was back on television this week, I don't yes. know if you've noticed. Jed Lowry on the IL. Uh, yes. It wasn't that weird watching empty stadium baseball. Games. I have and to in the tell immortal... you. I have to tell you. I've been waiting all week to say this. I knew when it came back on, it would get you. I, no, I don't know because <laughs> I, I will. I'll, I'll say. Let me let me put it this way. Okay. Um, the first Met Yankee game was a Saturday, right? Yes, sir. And Saturday's a big horse racing day for me, so I was at a buddy's house. 
watching the races. No, not a and in my head, I knew in my head, I knew that the Met game started at seven ten. Uh-huh. But I wasn't. I was like, normally I'd be in a hurry to get home to watch the game, or I would make my friend keep me over for another twenty minutes to let me watch the first inning there, so I could go home during the commercial. Yeah, I was real casual about leaving. I don't know if it was because I knew it was an exhibition game, but. I mean, having it on in the background was nice when I got home. Uh, it it didn't seem weird watching the game with an empty stadium. But like Brandon Nimmo said, it, that might be because I have to watch the Mets play in Florida 10 times a year. Yeah, good shot. So I'm kind of Brandon used to Nimmo there. Yeah, I'm kind of used to watching the Mets play in empty stadiums. It, it was it, I, I thought from a fan watching experience, baseball, it seemed fine. It really did. I mean, from a person who was uh, spending the weekend just watching clips from Vince Bergogliano's Twitter feed of of scrimmages, because uh, pretty much him and like, the New York Rangers Twitter account were the only two people posting videos. I don't think Rick knows how to use a camera phone. Sorry, Rick. Um, he took he took a video of a uh, of a of a penalty shot. Oh, he, he did. Figured it out. Oh, no, yeah. Listen, he couldn't figure out how to end. He couldn't figure out how to end the video, and, and, and like the last five seconds of it is him fumbling. Yeah, but uh, he he got he got the penalty shot itself. Listen, so I, props 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 are due. I watched a lot of scrimmage clips. I got excited. I'm pumped. I know it's crazy. I still feel it's crazy, but uh, I guess we'll just we have a lot some topics to cover. My first one is Capo Caco, my man. Looks pretty good on the ice again. Scrimmage, scrimmage, just scrimmage. Don't get excited, Ryan. Don't do it. It's okay. Just scrimmage. It's yeah, scrimmage. I, but we're talking about practice, not, not a game. I know Colin. Colin gave it to me hard when I asked him. I was like, "I'm getting excited about about Kako. Yeah, I just I don't know. I I I'm not saying it, you're wrong for being excited that they're practicing. It's just yeah. I think it's what I don't think a coach is going to come out and say that a player looks like shit. No, like maybe he doesn't say. Maybe Quinn doesn't say anything about a certain player if they're. I, not I was just well. hoping that Colin Vince or you know even even Larry or Rick at this point would be like, "Well, Kako doesn't look like he's improved that much, but he's been sort of." Not the star of camp, obviously, uh, but has stood out. Or maybe that's something that they know people will click, and that's the reason. I think uh, also, but it's also logical, right? Just again, think of think of the mechanisms that we had to endure with the shutdown itself. Kako went home, mm-hmm. where Got ice refreshed. centers were kept open for a longer period of time than they were here in the U.S. Kako was working out with players from the Finnish league. He was working out with uh, Georgiev. Kako, it would be more alarming to me if Kako wasn't close to game shape because more so than other guys, he was able access. to stay on the ice longer. Right. Yeah. So it, it's Kako. It, is it? I, I think the time off is one hundred and ten percent benefited Kako. I, I think that's a kid who literally got driven into the ground with the amount of hockey he played the eighteen months leading up to the shutdown, but. I, I honestly, seeing all that, I would have been more concerned if Kaka was kind of just blending in, given how much he's been able to access ice and practice time leading up to this training camp. It, it's not to diminish the fact that him look, him looking great is always great because he's a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, some of it, I think, should have been expected from us casuals who were ingesting all these reports. He's been skating longer than these guys. He had more access. He had more time. So... I'm I'm happy he's looking good, but I I don't think any of us should have been surprised. I'm not what it comes. I, I'm not surprised. Obviously, I uh, have a lot of faith in Kapokako, as you know. Uh, faith, you say? Faith. Hmm. Church of Kako may be returning this week. Question mark. Find out soon. Twitter near you, Orion Meter, Blue's break. Um, the one thing I will say from the small. The, this is Ryan's uh, a- analyst corner. 
I will say his, his, his shot looks a little bit quicker from the goals I saw. Again, from brief clips. And he looks like he's moving a little easier. That's all I can I'm say not, from brief clips. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to buy all that stuff off of 25-second Twitter videos. I wish I was there, but I'm not. Sure. So, sure. I'm not. Uh, all I, can I will do is say this, too. Uh, from what we've been able to find out, Buchnevich, for the most part, is fine. Yeah. Uh, but it is – and it, it, Quinn himself has said that he doesn't expect – Buchnevich's he will not miss the playoffs. Tweak. We're going to call it a tweak. We'll call it a tweak. Uh, he doesn't expect Buchnevich's tweak to keep him out of even game one, or from the sounds of it, the exhibition game coming up this weekend against the Islanders, or next weekend. I don't know what weekend it is well, anymore. It's uh, uh, Next Thursday is the Islander game, I believe. But I, w- I, I will say that it, it was refreshing to see Quinn move Kako up to the first line and then Goche up to the third line, as opposed to just... Plugging and play and Jesper Foss. Like yeah, that felt real good, didn't seen it? Countless, countless times again. Yeah, it, fe- it seemed good. It, f- it felt warranted. Yeah, it felt like they deserved it. Like, oh, this is logical. Wow, incredible. <laughs> and that, yeah. and he stuck with it too. Um, and I think if Buchnevich wasn't able to play with again, from what Quinn said, he will be able to play in the play-in round versus the Hurricanes. That Kako would be on that first line, and that's encouraging because he's giving. Yep. Uh, listen, that it. We have uh, Richard Migliori on later, and he's a, he, he was a professional jockey for 30 years. Talks a lot about the sport and all that. But that builds confidence. Like, he talks about, you know, building confidence and how, or even, uh, you know, getting, getting something taken away from you and how that builds motivation. But that builds confidence for Kako that, that shows you, hey, maybe I've seen that you've worked on, on your game because you were able to. Maybe that doesn't matter, but I could tell that you worked on your game while we were gone, and I want to reward you. This is an opportunity that has arisen, and I'm giving it to you, Kapo Kako. Please make the most of it. And then he went out and scored two goals in scrimmage, in scrimmage, in scrimmage, but still Kako scoring goals when he was having troubles all year, even again in scrimmage when the goalies were struggling, uh, is still a good thing and a positive note no matter what the light. Let's. Get- but there's also, there's also just a... Before we go to the next topic, mm-hmm. there's also just a logical player placement move there from Quinn. Even say the season were to restart and all these guys are going to play the exact same way they were playing before the shutdown happened. Yeah. Is, is there anyone you would feel more comfortable with than Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider bringing up Kako's game if he's struggling? No. Like, I, I, I understand the temptation to put him with Artemi Panarin is, is high, but Panarin carries the weight a lot on that line that I don't think Ryan Strom could then carry as well. Whereas with Mika and Kreider, if there, if there isn't a line on the Rangers that could make Capococco play even league average, then it doesn't exist because Mika, Mika and Chris, wow. First name basis with Whoa, just, just uh, hanging out with the boys. Zibanejad and Kreider are battle tested vet. I know Zibanejad, it's crazy to talk about how young Zibanejad still is. But they're battle-tested veterans who've been through the ringer and are both playing some of their best hockey they've played in their entire career. If they can't get a next level out of Kapokako, then I'd be worried about anyone being able to get a next level out of them. So it, I think it's, it, it, it seems a little weird to promote a, a kid, literal kid, who had been struggling so mightily, but Kako's struggling mightily playing with other kids. If you put him on a line with two guys who've been there, done that, and oh, by the way, are playing some of their best hockey. I that I understand you'd be exposing Kako to better competition at the same time, but you're also exposing him to better teammates at the same time. So it's, it, it yeah, it could be a double-edged sword, but I, I have a hard time 
seeing the disadvantages of having Kako with them. Feels more, I, I feel more comfortable that he's there rather than on the third line. Not that I have anything against Heedl, and I think he'll be fine when he goes back, but obviously... Oh, yeah, more- no, it, it's, not a, it's not a knock on Heedle. If anything, it's... And it, honestly, I, I, I have supreme confidence in Kako playing with Hito and Di Giuseppe when this all starts because I do too. Di Giuseppe very quietly became maybe the Rangers' most defensively responsible forward, him and Jesper Fast. So you have a guy that is willing to play a two-way style game that maybe Kako isn't ready for maturity-wise. And Hito, we've never, ever have said a bad thing about Hito on this podcast from what I can recall, and we're still both extremely excited about. That's a good question. Have we of, ever said anything bad about Philip Heedle? I, 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 so. I don't think so. I don't think so. But honestly, huh. th- think about it. We've seen Heedle enough be promoted to a wing position with this Ranger team that if if the Rangers thought Buchnevich was going to be down for a while, it wouldn't have surprised either of us to see Heedle moved up with Zibanejad and Kreider. But I I I, I don't have a problem with Di Giuseppe and Heedle playing with Kako. I'm just saying. If you wanted to see if there was another level you can unlock in Kako's game right now, no two better players to find out if that's possible than Kreider and Zibanejad. Couldn't agree more. Let's get to the topic that I, you and I talked about a little bit before this show, which is, listen, I know the players bargained for this, hey, you can't really talk if we have COVID kind of deal. We don't want to talk about any injuries, and that was part of their, their I guess, negotiations in this case. But the more I, I don't, I wonder if they really thought about it in practice. Because now that when players get hurt, like Buchnevich, like we don't know what happened. We we really don't. We have no idea. But we can assume that he got hurt when he was out on the ice, and that they they're playing careful with him. That's what we can assume. But, right. But now, well, hold on, Greg. But, well, but, I, I don't even know. Right. I, well, you use the word assume, and I don't want to go. The NHL to me. We, we give them a lot of credit for shit, mm-hmm. but we also give them a lot of shit for stuff that they deserve to get shit for. We do. And I, I got to tell you, I understand the protocol is for the players can't enter the arena before they have a negative test in their pocket. But I don't think it's the craziest possibility that they let a guy in with a test pending. No, I don't think I, that's crazy it's not, either. It's not an impossible thought. No, it's not. It, and I, I understand that, um, but but I guess what I'm more talking about is how this works from a league perspective and a media perspective. I, I think the logistics of it, that's true, Greg. I think that someone could get past the tests aren't aren't 100. I'm not a scientist, but all well, I know is that no. But not it, but it, but but this speaks to your point. It's so the league is basically decided and for what what we've seen, uh, and it's not just Pavel Buchnevich. We saw it with Sidney Crosby too on the exact same day. The league has decided that they're just not going to differentiate between injury or test. You're just not going to get any info about any player at any time. That that is that's how they're handling all of this. Is if a player disappears from mid scrimmage, no comment. If a player doesn't appear the next day, no comment. They're just going to no comment everything across the board. And there's a part of me that understands it to a certain degree, right? I I, I get it. it. It's really not our business. It truly isn't. I don't, it, it, as long if I'm not interacting with you, I have no business knowing whether you've taken a test, you've popped a test. Uh, I get it. You, you don't have to wear a scarlet letter to tell me that you've tested positive. That shouldn't be a requirement. At the same time, and we talked about this before we started recording, is there a stigma to getting a positive test that I'm not aware of? 
like are people viewed differently when they get a positive test? There are so many ways that you can contract this virus that I'm not even going to assume at this point you did anything personally reckless to get it. I just think it's prevalent and it just so happened that today was your day. So I, I get wanting to protect identities. I just don't know what those identities are being protected from. I, I it think doesn't make a whole lot of sense. To, to me, me, it causes way more speculation, and it, it assumes, like, right away, all of us are like, wow, that player has COVID. Oh, my God. When it could be they twisted their ankle. Like, that's it. Like, oh, they're gonna, we're, we're being precautionary with this player. But now, all of a sudden, you assume, oh, my God, this player has COVID, and then you go there and say, oh, my God, do other players have COVID? Is it all going to get shut down? And that kind of does the anxiety spiral kind of deal. And that's what all media is going to do for this entire NHL playoffs. I, and, and I feel I don't feel bad for the players or anything like that, but the coaches have to come out and be like, hey, we can't talk about this, and that's just it. Like, that's the end of it. The players negotiated I, I it. Think for, I, think, I think the coaches love it, too, honestly. <coughs> Whoa. Um, hey, welcome back. Speaking of which, <coughs> I'm dying. Hold on. I'm getting <laughs> Okay, we're good. A particle, a particle got in my throat. It's okay. tickling my throat. Okay, my favorite. From what we know about hockey, Ryan, never exactly the most transparent league in the well, world. Well, lower, right? lower body, upper injuries. body. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I think this gives everyone another layer to hide behind. And I got it. I don't know if there's a right system for this. If, if honestly the goal is to not say whether players test positive or not, I don't think there's an appropriate system because you compare it to what baseball is doing, where the injury report comes out and every team will say if a player is physically injured, like for example, today, the Mets put Walker Lockett on the injured list because he has lower back stiffness. At the same time, they put Jared Hughes and Brad Brack on the, on the injured list for undisclosed reasons. You can assume what those undisclosed reasons are because the league has made it perfectly clear that there's only one thing you can put a guy on the injured list for, that is undisclosed. So while the team is not saying those guys have the coronavirus, you can infer that those guys have the coronavirus. So if the goal is to not be able to differentiate between a physical injury and the coronavirus, the only way you can do that is the way the NHL is doing it. The problem here is I just don't know who it, if, if it benefits the players, God bless them. But now it's just everyone's just going to assume they have the coronavirus. Like it, 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 it. almost it's is counter. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. It's instead. It, it's the players would rather you think that everyone is sick as opposed to saying what is actually wrong. And that's what's mind blowing to me. And I, you know, we're a heavy pro player podcast when we have it for a very long time. Uh, it just, I don't. I think this just makes it everyone assume like, hey, oh, one one person has COVID now, everyone does. Okay, great. Now it's all over. Let's have anxiety time. Hooray! And that's it. When that's not always going to be the case. And and honestly, so far the bubble in the NBA this week has had zero cases, which is incredible. And the 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 NHL over a four day period only had three positive cases. And again, they're not even in the bubble yet. That's I would say that's positive news. I I, I have that under. I check that off under positive and in going in a good direction. Yes, there are other things you can say to to, neg- uh, to say the negative things, like like you mentioned the Bruins. Um, nine of them still can't practice. Okay, cool. That's still bad, but we are heading in the right direction under these safety guidelines. I hope. That being said, like you said before, it just makes everyone assume it's COVID, and to me, that helps nobody and only causes more panic and pain for everybody involved. Yeah, that it it 
it seemed like a good idea in theory, but then once you put it into practice, now we're just going to assume if you can't tell us what's wrong with a player, we're going to assume that's because he's sick. Well, if I'm, and another, I, if I'm another player and I someone is undisclosed, they come back, I'm like, uh, do the players have the right to know if they have they had COVID? Do they like you know well, like that's? I guess I, in theory, no, right? Because it's mm-hmm. once it you is a pop a negative right. test, it's not exactly like you can then still like once you're negative. From what we understand, and this could always change, yes. But the science today says once you test negative, it's not like you can then spread it the next day. And it's not. It's not like if you had it, you're still a carrier. Got it. So it's. So I guess it's. In theory, if you're healthy enough to be on the ice, you shouldn't have any concerns, which is the modus operandi for all these hockey players. It's just, I don't understand. I, I understand. The other thing I understand about reporting injuries is that when you really think about it, the injury report exists for the gambling public. Like that, that's really all it exists for it. To be fair though, the NHL is trying to get more open about their, not just their statistics, but their physical reporting of injuries because it does affect the line that someone would put on a hockey game. The whole reason why the NFL injury report exists is not for allowing other teams to plan accordingly. If a player is healthy or not for the following week, it's quite simply for the, but the betting public. So it's it's weird to think about any injury report because in theory, an injury report, none of our business and it, it, it never will be our business. It's but it's one of those things where the less you say, the more paranoid people are going to get. And I don't understand why in this point where we are as a society, essentially, you would want to invite more speculation about positive tests. So it's. I, I understand why the players wanted it in there. I know Austin Matthews wasn't thrilled when the report came out about him testing positive. That's different, though. It, like, uh, you know, I don't know. To me, that like they weren't even in camps yet, and that came right. out and got leaked. Right. But I, I, it's easy for me to say, sitting where I sit, because I don't have to have a weekly injury report listed right. for me. I think everyone can just assume that my hamstring still hurts from the time I – strained it (laughs) multiple years ago Mm -hmm. uh but it's like i i get it like it's it is an invasion of privacy to some extent i just i i don't know why you would think rampant speculation would be better than just saying buchnevich tweaked something agree um, let's, uh, I guess it's been 20 minutes into the podcast. We haven't talked about how Brendan Lemieux is suspended for not one, but two games at this point in time. Can't, can't say one can't say I'm surprised. I, it, it was still a stupid hit. You play, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. It's a 100% deserved suspension. Uh, it nearly cost the New York Rangers a hockey game as well. So any, any way you want to shake it, I don't know. And then just to go one step further, the difference between Lemieux being on the fourth line and Greg McKegg being on the fourth line is just non-existent. It really isn't. I, I don't know where I, there are so many Rangers that play with quote an edge that I don't think it matters if Lemieux is the guy that's being the pest or if it's Tony D'Angelo being the pest. Uh, I Ryan Lindgren Lemieux wasn't just straight, straight up. Brendan Lemieux wasn't that good this year when he was healthy. He was worse offensively compared to the team. He was just as bad defensively as the rest of the team. I, I There's a certain portion of the fan base that values Brendan Lemieux in a way that doesn't has never made any sense to me. He's a guy that if the Rangers didn't want to bring back next year, fine, so be it. He's not a guy I would spend 
anything north of $1.5 million on. He's a completely replaceable player. I just, the Rangers not having him for two games means absolutely nothing because it's not going to play the, fourth line minutes. Yeah. It's not going to be the difference. He's, he's going to play fourth line minutes. We know how David Quinn uses his fourth line. Oh, well tough shit. There's 11 minutes of ice time that Greg McKegg will eat for Brendan Lemieux. I, it's that simple to me. And McKegg will be fine. Not like he burned any, be fine. it's not like he destroyed anything this year was, or was ever really uh, good, but he'll be fine. And he'll be salvageable out there for 11 minutes. It won't, yeah, it the, won't change the Rangers. Thing. The Rangers' bottom six was pretty bad all year long, with or without Brendan Lemieux. I think it's going to remain kind of bad in the play-in series, whether it's Lemieux or McKegg. It, it, I don't know. It, him missing two games, to me, means absolutely nothing. Agree. Want to do some five-star questions, then we'll go to our wonderful interview? I suppose we can. Okay. Uh, this five-star question is actually brought to you by The Full 60 with Craig Custance. Uh, it, it says here, please tweet at Craig Custance that Blue Shirts Breakaway is better than the full 60 as many times as you can. That's strange. Uh, he has a new episode out this week. And if you want to check that out, you can go ahead and listen to him with executive Rick Dudley of the NHL. And I'm sure they discuss much more, you know, uh, executive things than we do on this podcast. But tweet at Craig Custance. Tell him we're better than him. Thank you. All right. First five-star question. Oh, my God. Do I read the full number? This guy is named Cool, and then it has about 20 numbers after it. Should I read them all? Uh, okay, 738-382-1626-3839-493-717717139. Okay, Whew, thank you. What do you think those numbers mean? I think I just read like a nuclear code. Is that his phone number? <laughs> was, that, was, that nine, was that 10 digits? Oh my god, the FBI is on my computer right now. This is weird. Um, okay, uh, with social distancing guidelines will we see more panarin leg kicks yeah so players aren't allowed to like do group hugs after goals right so yeah i'm assuming uh, i mean i well i don't know are they i don't know <laughs> i i remember someone saying once that like with soccer coming back people weren't going to be allowed to celebrate their goals i've seen plenty of group hugs right in, in since the league restarted uh maybe it's different in europe well, it should be. <laughs> uh, they're playing by different rules. Yeah. They, they, some places took it more seriously than others. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Oh, uh, how dare you get political? Um, no. Oh, uh, my bad. Yeah. My how bad. How dare you? Sorry. Liberal breakaway. All right. Let's Whatever. get to Whatever. More people. Some people will somehow find a way to say that I was negative on this podcast and they could uh, eat my butt. Uh, your negativity compared to last week is literally zero. Um, yeah. I was a Look. Listen, guys, you don't have it's to a shitty me. world. What do you want me to do? Yeah, what do you want me to do? You don't have to tell me. I'm not going to sit here and lie. Screw it. You put a microphone in my face. You're like, Greg, are you excited? I was like, no. I, I've this always week, knew who week, you are. It's a little bit more excited, I guess. It because is. Last week was ground zero. <laughs> Listen, I'm having a good time. This is fun. Keegan writes in. Hey, from Keegan from Indiana again. Hey, Keegan, what's up? Sorry, I haven't written in a while. It's okay. We, we forgive you. It's been hectic for I'm you. I'm not forgiving. Oh, okay. So, he does say it's been hectic for me. You forgive him now? No, no okay. excuses. Play like a champion. Uh, he sent me an album. He said, I really hope you enjoy that Poppy album, Ryan. You would hate this album. It's like hard rock, uh, like Kawhi music. You'd hate it. Assuming the Rangers... What, the, sta- what, what do you mean Kawhi music? What is it, the Kawhi uh, Leonard has his own segment of music? No, it's like... Um, how do I put it? It's kind of like Japanese pop. Well, no, I'm just thinking Kawhi Leonard has an album. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm thinking that this is an album. It's just robotic noises over and over again. Um, 
So assuming the Rangers stay healthy, who on the team are you most ex- most expecting to rise to the occasion, other than the obvious choices like Mika and Panarin? Can I just say this? Chris Kreider has ridden, risen to the occasion a lot in his career, with the exception of hitting the the, the goalposts in the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, especially against the Capitals and in a lot of playoff series. He's come up with big goals, and I, I believe he would be the one I kind of expected because he's done it before and, and has proven he's sort of that player. Well, if we're so if we're taking. If we're taking the obvious out, when, and I assume the obvious is everyone that was playing well before the shutdown, mm-hmm. uh, I think you could see something from Truba. I, I, I don't know if – it's he's still playing with a stacked deck, right? Because he's going to be playing with Brendan Smith or Lieber Hayek because, again, it sounds like Quinn is once again in love with the play of Lieber Hayek, which is concerning uh, in its own right. But I, I, I think he's the guy who had – the most troublesome season that could have a good showing in these playoffs. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw what the Rangers can expect from Jacob Chuba over the next six years, starting on August 1st from him. I can only hope um, I, you're going to murder me for this. Cause I, 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 know, I know the name of this city. But we'll go. Uh, we'll go for it. Hey guys, fantastic pods as usual. Thank you so much. And we're so is glad it we're Jacksonville. No, it is a city in Great Britain that has a team that plays in the Premier League. And I know. Oh, Leicester. Is it Leicester? I think it's Leicester. Yes. Um, okay. My question is: Does it, does it look like Leicester? Yes, it does. Yeah, it's Leicester. <laughs> okay. It's Leicester. Luke from Le- Luke from Leicester or Leicester. I mean, um, my question is: If the Rangers could add, if you could add two Rangers to the current team from this playoff run. Uh, I guess you've got two Rangers from maybe former from this player fund, one forward, one defenseman. Who are you picking? Keep up the great work, and I'll see you at the parade. Mean from like 1994? I guess is yeah. My question is, if you had two Rangers to the current team for this playoff run, I guess, yeah, I guess like maybe... Or any Ranger at any time? Yeah, I guess any Ranger. Uh, Yager and Leach? Yeah. If, if, it was, <laughs> if it was... I mean, I mean, yes. Those two specifically would have been the first two I said. Uh, I guess you could make a case... For Zuboff, straight up, yeah. considering how the Rangers play Can, defensively. Yeah, I guess if you put it that way, like if you wanted to not have a forward and you just wanted to get two defensive players, it would be Zuboff yeah. and Leach. But if, if, if it had to be, I mean, it, it would. it's also hard not to say Messier because of what the Rangers look like down the middle. Like, of can course. you imagine Mark Messier playing on a line with Artemi Panarin? Uh, but at the same time, can you imagine Yamir Yager playing on a line with Mika Zibanejad? It, Rubbing my hands together. I think... Yeah, I think those two are the only two forwards I would consider. And I, for the defensive player, if your first person isn't Leach, then you're lying to yourself. Yeah, it, yeah, you are lying. Leach, yeah. every every week we watch him, it's like, oh my god, <laughs> this guy's a yeah. If, if I could add Leach <laughs> twice, I would probably also do that. Yeah, thank thank you so much, Tanky fourteen. Appreciate it. Last one. Um, this is from Big Dork one thousand and one. He censored. Oh, you send you send in your own question, Ryan. Yeah, and this person did censor the word "fuck." Uh, they don't need to. Fuck Mary Kill. What? Hank Igor Georgiev. I think this is pretty easy, right? Hank Igor Georgiev. Yeah, I think yeah, I got. I marry, I, I marry Hank. I yeah. killed Georgiev, and I fuck Igor. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. I think you can make a case if you uh, marry Igor and fuck Hank, because because you know maybe no that that's not a that's not a man. Henrik Lundqvist in his on. life has never fucked. Yeah, you got to hold He's on. He's made love a lot. <laughs> uh, that no, Hank. Hank is a man you marry and you get in the Cialis tub 
and hold hands with him for sure. That's a really good painting an image. All right, this podcast sponsor was uh, this podcast segment was sponsored by Craig Custance to the full sixty. Go tweet at him at Craig Custance. That <laughs> that's what that's what Craig Custance wanted. By the way, <laughs> leading in lead, that's this is why we we outrank Craig on a weekly basis because our we, our we, have, we haven't Craig, in like two weeks, but yes, <laughs> it's just our our lead in the Craig is like oh yeah no I I. I'd get in a Cialis tub and hold hands with Henrik. Whatever you do, sure. don't Photoshop Blue Shirts Breakaway in the Cialis tub with Craig Custance and send it to him on Twitter. Not allowed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but also maybe don't. Yeah. It would, he's going to be very confused yeah, don't, as maybe, to why you're doing We want to have our jobs. Like he's kind of our boss. Like, but maybe yeah, tweet it that we're He's kind of an important you know? figure Don't let him listen lives. to this. Our, our producer, no. Danielle, don't let's skip this part. We're going to the ads. All right. <laughs> Here we go. By the way, our ad this week fits right into this last question. <laughs> You think you think Hank Manscapes is what I'm trying to get at here, dude? Hank, I want to almost do this as a live ad read. Should I? I guess. Uh, so. I mean, I'm I'm kind of for it. All like, right. What 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 trimmer setting do you think Hank uses? I I usually do these pre-recorded, and I I sometimes do them. You know, uh, maybe once or twice if we mess them up. Uh, uh-huh. uh support for Bushers Breakaway is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the oh. best. In Men Below the Belt Grooming, Manscaped offers mm. precision engineering tools for your family jewels, just like the immense goalie skills of Henrik Lundqvist. They're, uh, they're, it's one-to-one, the correlation between Manscaped and Henrik Lundqvist. If, if, <laughs> if we could give Henrik Lundqvist a different, a different nickname, it would be the Lawnmower 3.0. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Just like Henrik Lundqvist has redesigned his game as he got older. He got smarter uh-huh. and wiser. The Manscaped oh, engineering yeah. team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created to have their new and improved lawnmower 3.0. Amazing stuff. As Sam Rosen would say, what a save. <laughs> what I tell you, this premium, and I mean premium, battery will last up to 90 minutes. Minutes, So you can shave longer, just like Henrik Lundqvist in an overtime yeah, that's, game. That's, that's three overtimes, Ryan. That's my guy Two right and there. Half? To do it, Two and a half overtime. Listen, all you got to do to get the, the lawnmower 3.0 and uh, become part of the uh, lawnmower 3.0 family is go to the athletic, I mean, manscaped.com, enter code the athletic 20, the athletic 20, get 20% off and free shipping with the athletic 20. It's for 20% off and free shipping with the code the athletic 20 at manscaped.com. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two sh- uh, the shed travel bags at a $39 value and the patented high performance anti chafing manscaped. Boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today. Use the code theathletic20. That's our, our good friend Richard Migliori, uh, who came on the podcast and honestly absolutely killed it and uh, transitions to that now. Hey, we're back with our first guest of the day. He is current champion of our hearts and former champion jockey, Richard Migliori. He's of Fox Sports and New York Racing Association. Richard, thank you so much for joining us to talk horse racing and rangers. Oh, thank you I, I, for having me. I love uh, the New York Rangers since I'm a little kid, and I've loved uh, Thoroughbred Racing probably after I fell in love with hockey. But uh, uh, racing became my life, but I'm still a diehard Ranger fan. We'll get to all that in a second. Uh, our podcast over the past couple months, because there's been no hockey, I'm not a horse guy, but my co-host Greg is, has become a, uh, a semi-horse racing podcast, which is why we reached out to you. I feel like we really mix well. You know, you you do the horse racing, we do the Rangers, and we both, well, half of us like it a lot. But I went onto your wiki. It says you're from Bayshore. Is that true? Well, originally I'm from Brooklyn. I grew up in Brooklyn, so I was about 12. And then we moved out to um, Bayshore, Long Island. Yep. Um, and I started working um, at a farm in Dix Hills, Hunting Hollow Farm off a of Half Hollow Road. And from there, met somebody who said, you know, you could be a jockey, which I had already kind of was aware of the races and watching it. 
and uh, introduced me to somebody out in Yapank who had a farm with a track, started galloping racehorses. By the time I was 14, I had actually left Bayshore, left my family's home to go live at Belmont Racetrack to train to be a jockey. And by the time I was 16, I was professional. So technically, yes, I was from Bayshore, but I I only really lived there about two and a half years. I only asked because I lived there about 30. So I figured we'd had something in common, (laughs) but the two years, the two years is, uh, I'm sure it's changed a lot since you were, you were there at that time. You were a pro at like 16. That's insane. I saw that you had a 30 year career. Um, is that typical with jockeys? Again, I know nothing about horse racing and Greg will ask way better questions. (laughs) Yeah, no, you know, it's, it's funny. The average career for a jockey is three years, What? but that's if you take in you know, the national average, when, once you make it to a, a circuit like New York or California, one of the, the major league circuits, it becomes infinitely more um, safe, less dangerous because you're riding better horses for better horsemen on better track conditions with better jockeys. A lot of guys never get out of what you would you know, probably consider the minor leagues because they either get injured um, too badly that they can't you know, continue on to the pros, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little different, but technically um, unofficially the pros would be like New York, California, those circuits, but, um, and wait, most guys can't hack making the weight all those years. You've got to you know, be able to be about 115 pounds and I'm 145 right now and still not heavy at all. So, you know, it was a struggle. I mean, I had to live on about 750 calories a day. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. That's one, one of the, yeah, <laughs> I think I had it 750 calories before we started podcasting in like the last five minutes. Uh, Rich, <laughs> one of the big one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on is not just because of my now insane love of horse racing, but it's also because horse racing was the first thing to come back into New York. And I know you guys have talked about this a lot on the broadcast, but as a as a just a commentator, how different has your time been with? the Belmont summer meet. And now I know you're not up in Saratoga yet, but you're going to, I think you're heading up there soon. How different has it been for you? Someone that is entrenched in the sport, but not even one of the athletes riding these days. Well, it it was a lot different. You know, Belmont uh, obviously was a very, it was a shortened meet. We had 25 racing days, you know, usually be about 50. So it was about half the size, uh, you know, the length of the normal meet. And just nobody there. Like it, 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 it's it's very odd. Um, when we have a, a set on the third floor, and you can actually hear the riders yelling at each other from the third floor set because there's no residual noise anywhere else. Um, so it, it, it's been you know a little bit strange. I mean, I'm very happy to have racing back and some sense of normalcy. I'm actually a little bit nervous about what it's going to feel like going to Saratoga because Saratoga is a place you always play to a packed house. You know, every day there's 20 to 30,000 people at the races and on a weekend, 45 to 50. So, um, uh, you know, it's just going to be unusual, but these are very trying times for everybody. Uh, really kind of crazy. Um, never thought I'd see anything like this in my lifetime, but you know, New York at least has certainly seemed like it's flattened the curve and, uh, we're trying to go in the right direction. So hopefully it will continue that way. Cause the last thing we need is a, is a spike, in COVID cases and then racing gets shut down again and we, we, we take a step backwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that it's definitely been a weird sensation for all sports. I mean, we're about to, we're, I don't know, a week away at this point almost from watching hockey for the first time without fans. Um, 
you, I, I guess we'll start with the, the Rangers questions now and Greg can bring back to horses because I'm out of that at this point. Um, but when did you, uh, I guess, what, what was it like becoming a Ranger fan? When did you become a Ranger fan? And uh, did, what, uh, I guess we'll start there. Like, what was your life growing up as a Ranger fan? Well, you know, my dad was a big Ranger fan and my brothers, I have three brothers, um, and he would get home from work sometimes and say, come on, we're going to the garden. We're going to go see the Rangers. And my mom would pack sandwiches in brown paper bags. And we'd go on the subway and get up in the blue seats. And, you know, it grew up with a, just an amazing, warm memory of doing that with my father, knowing that, you know, he was tired from working all day and getting home, but he was going to take his boys to see the Rangers. And um, sitting up there with the sandwiches my mom made and rooting, you know, Brad Tark and Rod Gilbert and Eddie Jockerman was the goalie. And, um, uh, you know, so I, I think I fell in love with it because it was so cool to go there with my older brothers and me and my dad. And, and you know, just it's a, it's a wonderful memory. And then flash forward, you know, like we always sat up in the blue seats, right? So now I become a jockey and get, you know, some notoriety and, uh, got invited to the garden a couple times with MSG and got incredible seats. And my oldest son who works for West Point thoroughbreds, he's 29. Now he was like five and we're at the Ranger game. We're on the glass. And I'm like, man, I remember being <laughs> up in the blues and he looks around and he goes, Hey dad, you think we could sit up there someday? And I'm like, man, it, I worked my whole life to get down here. You want to go back up to the blues? <laughs> but you know what? Great atmosphere up there. Just, just being in the garden and, and then to have a Ranger team, uh, that's as exciting as I am, uh, as exciting as I think the Rangers are. I know I'm excited about them now and thinking back over the years of all the great Rangers teams. And my son Joseph actually got a picture with the Stanley Cup. Eddie Olchek brought the cup to uh, the jockey's room uh, in 94 when the Rangers won yeah. it. And uh, you know, he was like three and he got his picture with the cup. And I was like overwhelmed. He, he has no memory of it other than to see the pictures. It's so- Did uh, were you were you sliding Eddie Olchick uh, racing tips from the jockey's room while he was still at MSG? He's always been a big racing fan, and, and I'll leave it like this: we've always talked about racing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all you can say. Allegedly, um, they've allegedly talked about racing. Uh, we've been actually been doing a '94 rewatch here on on Bushwick Breakaway, uh, Greg and I, over the past couple weeks. What are your your sort of fond memories from the cup run, and and what sticks out to you the most? Because I have to tell you, on the rewatch, I think some narratives have changed over the years and have been evolved through sports media. Oh gosh, you, you know, I just just remember the excitement level of of them getting so deep, and got, are we going to get heartbroken again? And but you know, we had Messier, which you know certainly was. Uh, something that gave you comfort because he was a guy who knew how to get it done, mm-hmm. uh, a leader, a guy who had won multiple cups. And then when he made, I, you know, I don't think he actually made the guarantee, but the press kind of took it and ran with it with the devils. Yes. Um, but then, but then the way it panned out and he scored, you know, three, the, the empty netter for the hat trick. Um, that's when you felt like this is really going to happen. Like, it, you know, it, it, it was an amazing time. I mean, I know I felt like a little kid and I know I, I, you know, my memory and my mind and my heart kept going back to that little kid going to the garden with his dad and, and you know, being eight, nine, ten years old. And, and now here it is. It's finally going to happen. So, um, you know, just a wonderful time. And the funny thing is I had a ride the day of the parade after they won the cup. And I actually toyed with the idea of taking the day off 
like just take it off my mounts to go to, to like, cause this is amazing. The Rangers just won the cup and I didn't because I was too much of a, you know, I, I can't, I got to ride my horses and you know, I can't let the people down I work for. And there were, there was one jockey that did take off and went to the parade. <laughs> so, and I don't know if I want to throw him under the bus here, but he <laughs> called in sick and he went to the parade. So. That's funny. Oh, That's man. amazing. Uh, I was, do you, during the rewatch, so Ron and I were these little five-year-old kids who had no idea about nothing. And now we're these 31-year-old adults who have no idea about nothing. Mm-hmm. During the rewatch, I think both of us have come away pretty surprised by how much we dislike Mike Keenan. As someone that was a knowledgeable hockey fan in the moment, were you just happy to be on this run with the Rangers or were you finding yourself frustrated at some of the stuff Mike Keenan was pulling even in the deep in the playoff run? No, I, I, I definitely was frustrated. I thought Mike Keenan was over the top in the way he dealt with people and, you know, the players, guys that, you know, are, are, are putting their heart and soul out there. Now you got to understand too, I was already a professional athlete for a number of years. And, you know, I, I know what it's like to be unceremoniously dumped off a horse or, you know, told you did something uh, wrong when, you, you know, you put it all out there. And, and it's hard for anybody to put, themselves all out there knowing they can be the goat in the bad way or the goat in in the best way right um uh, i i just uh you know i have too much respect for professional athletes that work so hard to achieve um their lifelong dream of making it you know for a hockey player making it to the nhl and then to to play on that center stage of the playoffs in the stanley cup and then for him to treat guys like they were just disposable products um it it bothered me again as a professional athlete i know a lot of people don't think of jockeys as professional athletes but um they are in every sense of the word they're just smaller than average men so people have a hard time relating to them but um you know i I, i've said this before like and equating because i like to equate racing to other sports you i've ridden perfect races and finished third and gotten ridiculous criticism i've ridden terrible races in one and we're just such a goal um uh, result oriented uh society that um you know i rode a bad race and won and people, what a great ride oh, the horse bailed me out and and i think with any um athletic endeavor there are times when you don't perform up to your best and still some you know get it done and then there's times you perform overperform and you don't and it's just un, uh, unfair to criticize somebody just because the result isn't what you want it to be. And, and Keenan just almost seemed like a petulant child at times, <laughs> you, know, you know, some of the moves he made. Um, and I don't know the man. And, and, you know, listen, he did coach the Rangers to a Stanley Cup, but there were times he almost seemed like a distraction to me. You're not the only one who thinks that as we as we go through his decisions again, just from two series. Just from what two series to win the Stanley Cup, where we always say that, or we have started saying that they won in spite of him, not because of yeah. him. Yeah, we we're what we're we're two games into the Stanley Cup itself, and already twice Brian Leach has been benched for reasons that we can't even fathom. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I I, I think it's safe to say we're out on Mike Keenan. <laughs> so yeah, was, Brian Brian Leach, one of the you know the greatest defensemen in history of the game, really. I mean, if you if you if you look at everything, and you know. Sometimes I don't know. You know, I really I don't understand that. I think sometimes coaches or people use players to make a point to other players, but 
at what expense, you know, the, the, the psyche of, of the player that you're, you're kind of screwing with their head. I, you know, I don't understand it again. I love hockey. I'm never going to profess to be, you know, some expert on it. I, I, I know what I see and I enjoy it. Yeah. We're uh, you're right with no two expert, not experts too. So you're right at home here. We're both idiots. Um, I guess, I guess this is a good time to transition to sort of the new wave of the Rangers and what we've gone through the past couple of years. Uh, have you, since we talked about Mike Keenan already, you want to give us your thoughts on David Quinn, uh, and sort of his, um, I guess, temporary reign as head coach as, of the New York Rangers. Yeah. You know, I, I like what I see. I think he allows players to be who they are. Um, I like Elaine Vigneault. So just, just full disclosure, I, mm-hmm. I, I liked his style as well. Um, I think there's just some really dynamic talent on this team. And I think less is more from a coaching standpoint. Um, allow them to be who they are because there there's just some phenomenal talent. I mean, if you think of some of the passing sequences that we saw before, you know, the, the, the break because of the pandemic, I, I, I mean, if you can't get excited watching this team going, oh, my gosh, the speed, the, the passing, the vision, seeing the ice, and the youth that that sees the ice this way. Um, I, I, I've been in awe and impressed, and, yeah, I, I think he's done a great job. Um, but, again, allowing guys to be who they are. Don't get in – you know, you got a premier athlete. Don't get in their way. It's, it's like a thoroughbred. It's like a racehorse. You got a really good resource. Just don't get in their way. Are you? What's your level of excitement for the playing round to start with the Rangers and the Hurricanes? I think we're two weeks away, one week away from Friday. I think. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm so excited, and and I actually tweeted out, you know, last night, like I, I can't believe we're, you know, I'm, I'm excited about watching hockey, Rangers hockey in, in August, and. Um, yeah, just such a surreal time in our lives. But I'm really excited, and I'm going to tell you I have one big concern. Because of the youth of this team, are they going to be able to jump right back into it at the level they're going to need to to you know compete right now? I, I mean, I, I, I believe so. I hope so. But I'm also nervous that, you know, they're kids. They've been off. Um, I, you know, I'm sure they've worked out. They get, but – it's just different, you know, actually competing every day and being in that zone. And they don't have time to work into a zone. They have to jump in and be, you know, 110% off the first face-off. So, I, you know, I am concerned that it's asking a lot from a very young team. Now, if they're capable of doing that, they're capable of going very, very deep. And I'm not going past that. I don't want to jinx anything. Mm-hmm. But this team is, is just too fast dynamic sees the ice so well um has incredible goaltending and backup goaltending and backup goaltending i you know and i'm a big john davidson fan like i loved him when he used to do the broadcasts and maybe i i see a little bit of myself like i was a player i retired i went into the booth um you, you know now he's uh you know running the rangers i mean i mean i i, I know that I admire that. I just think anybody who can reinvent themselves after their athletic career ends and, and go in different directions and be successful, you know, it's difficult. And I, and I admire and appreciate that. 
I don't think we as a podcast could love John Davidson any more than we do. Um, was the perfect hire for the New York Rangers. Has the most charisma of maybe any human alive and can make you feel calm in even the most tense situations. Uh, and, that, and I think we have a lot of respect for him. But to get to get back to your point about the young team, uh, there are a lot of interesting players on this team, especially Kako and Kravstov. Kravstov probably won't see the ice in this uh, postseason. But Kako, uh, to your point, so far through two scrimmages, like three scrimmages at this point, has looked like he's ready to take a step forward. Again, these are just scrimmages. We won't know until the real games come. But a lot of teams are going to be ready to play. The youth might actually be a favor, in my opinion, might be a favor for the New York Rangers. But if they do go far, they'll go right up to the Stanley Cup and they won't get there. And then I'll be heartbroken because they won't get the number one overall pick or even have a chance at it. Um, I'm assuming you, <laughs> you, you know this or not. And I guess this is a question um, that sort of pulls at the heartstrings. But, I mean, if you have a chance at getting the number one overall pick, is it worth it to win a playoff series? It's, it's just something that... All fans have to look at themselves, but you're, you have a different perspective on it because you were a professional athlete for 30 years. Like you're not going to look at losing. You're, you're going to be locked in and focused. And I'm assuming you think these players will be the exact same thing too. Yeah. I, and, and I honestly don't think you can go into it with any other mindset. You, you can't be concerned with your know, first round draft picks or, you know, the ramifications of going so far and not going further you go out there with the mindset, we need to win and win at all costs. And, um, you, you know, I, I just don't think it would be healthy for a team's psyche to go in with any other mindset than just go balls to the wall and, 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 and try to get it done. Um, and I think the experience for the young guys, the, you know, again, this is a youthful team. You know, I, 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 you know, go through guys, Kako's 18 years old. Yeah. <laughs> um, you think about an 18 year old competing at the level he's competing at. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm so impressed. I admire, um, cause I, I know the sacrifice again, you know, to, to leave home. The, all, all these guys had to leave home young. They had to go live with other families. They had to go, you know, to, basically to work and, and, and with, like blinkers on, a singular vision, a focus, uh, a desire. And, and you can't get to this level without that desire, without that singular focus. Um, so I think maybe the trade-off is, okay, if you go this far and you don't go any further, you've helped develop the players you have in the moment, young guys, and they'll understand better what it takes next year and the following year until, you know, this Ranger team and this Ranger team will win a Stanley cup. And I, and I, I will on your podcast, right now, <laughs> say it will happen within the next five years. Oh, your lips to Kako's ears, the God himself. Um. <laughs> uh, Migs, I, another layered question then here for you. Um, talking about the Rangers, going balls to the wall to win at all costs. That probably means they need to start Igor Shosturkin in goal, starting game one and riding him throughout. But is there any part of you as a Rangers fan, for as long as you've been a Ranger fan, that would like to see Henrik Lundqvist get one more, one more spotlight in, in the show? Of course. Uh, of course. Uh, y- you know, as I got older in my riding career and I was riding for different stables, I got banged up. I got hurt. I, you know, broke bones and you come back and then there'd be like a younger guy 
essentially taking your place, you know? And I remember feeling like I, I, I know I'm still capable. I, I, I've got this. I can do this. My, my, my skills are intact. My heart is intact. My, my focus is there. And there's still going to be people that are going to gravitate to younger talent. And I'm not saying they weren't good. They were great, great, great young riders. Um, I, you know, as an athlete, you have some ego. They never were going to carry my saddle for, you know, I'm not going to go mm-hmm. someplace else <laughs> on their best day. Right. But okay. So yeah, I absolutely, I, I actually um, have a lot of hurt for uh, Lundquist and the position he's in and, and ultimately a coach and a GM and, they're going to do what they think is best for the team and what you know they think is going to make the team successful. But, you know, King Henry has certainly carried the Rangers at different times, and you would love to see him be rewarded with the opportunity to help bring a, a, a cup home to New York. And, and, and he's been completely devoted to New York to the Rangers, he is, you know, uh, it's obvious he, he is stated. He doesn't want to be anyplace else. So he bleeds Ranger blue. And, 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 and to me, I hope that's rewarded somehow and he gets the respect now. And again, you know, Sisterkin's he's phenomenal. He's young, he's talented, he's phenomenal. But um, I think loyalty um, goes a long way with me and, and he's been loyal to the Rangers and I hope the Rangers – are as loyal to him and give him an opportunity as well. I kind of hope they do too. Um, Something you were talking about before is, you know, you liked AV and a lot of these coaches have this mentality where if you do something wrong, like David Quinn, for example, he did something called the Quinn bin uh, where he'd bench a player that did something wrong or took a penalty over the years. And was there ever a time where you were uh, during your professional career, like you had a bad race and someone took you off a horse again, I know nothing about horse racing. So correct me if I'm wrong. And then because of that, you found yourself more motivated or was that never really like a motivating factor for you through your career? You just knew what you had to do and got it done. No, I think it was definitely at times a, a, a motivating factor. Like I'm going to show you, you know, you don't think I'm up to this level and, and, and it's different for jockeys because a jockey doesn't have a team. He's not under contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, I came up under a contract to a stable as a young kid. Um, you know, I was 16 years old. I was contracted out to a stable um, signed a five-year contract, bought my way out of it after two and a half years um, because it was inhibiting my ability to ride for other stables. I, I was basically tied down to one stable. Um, that being said, I just think that, you know, from a rider's perspective, if I'm with, like, this stable today and they fire me, well, I've got to go to another stable, get hired to ride their horses, of course, I want to beat those guys that 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 let me go, right? They mm-hmm. they and it, it and again, it's not a team sport. It's more individual. Your, your dance partner is your horse. It's not your teammates. Your 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 horse is your teammate. Of course, I've never seen a jockey get off and carry a horse. So you need a good <laughs> horse, right, to begin with. But he, here's an example. So I'm I'm 15 years old. I'm walking through the clubhouse at Belmont. My my stable had run a horse in the last race. I'm not riding yet. I'm a few months away from riding. And Lenny Goodman is the 
biggest jockey agent in the game. He handled a guy named Steve Cawson. Steve Cawson won the Triple Crown on the firm. He was like, you know, a, a phenom. He, he was Wayne Gretzky. And I see him coming down the escalator at Belmont with his entourage. I'm a 15-year-old kid. I live on the back stretch of Belmont. I have a room at the end of the barn, right? He walks, comes down the escalator. I walk up to him, being a kid from Brooklyn, and I stick out my hand. I said, Mr. Goodman, my name's Richie Migliori, and I'm going to be just as good as Steve Cloth, and I want you to be my agent. Well, he held, he held yeah, I mean, it took, took a lot of nerve, right? Like, and he held my hand in his hand. He looked at my hand. I've got big hands. And he goes, kid, as big as your hands are, I got a friend who owns a construction company. I'll get you a job as a bricklayer. You'll never make it as a jockey. And all his entourage laughed, and I withdrew, and I walked back to my room through the backstage mound, crying, literally crying. Get back to my room. I got a cot, right, laying on my cot. Maybe I'm making all the wrong choices, all the wrong decisions. I called my oldest brother. Maybe I should come home. I don't know what to do. The best agent in the world just told me I'm going to be a bricklayer. That's what he told me. I'm going to be a bricklayer. Well, less than a year later, I broke Steve Cawthon's apprentice money record <laughs> at Saratoga. And Joe Shea, who had been Ron Turcott, the guy who wrote Secretariat, he was uh, Ron Turcott's agent, and Ron Turcott wrote Secretariat. He was my agent. And everybody went to Lenny Goodman. What about this kid? He broke Cawthon's record. And he's, oh, I always knew he was going to be a good one. I said, no, 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 no. He told me I was going to be a bricklayer. Well, I'm not laying any brick. So, that that kind of gives you an insight. As a jockey, you have to be able to be strong enough to keep willing yourself forward and you and use these things as motivation. I remember thinking, I'm going to show this guy. This guy told me I was going to lay brick. I'm going to be a great jockey. And, you know, I was fortunate. I got opportunities and I was able to make the most of them. So it, it, it's a little different. You don't have the support of a team. You don't have a, a guaranteed contract. You know, it's a performance-based Endeavor. If you don't win, you make no money, really. But you won a lot. <laughs> you, you won 4,450 times. So congratulations on laying those bricks, well, Richard. But again, that's why my, I have a sensitivity to athletes in, in any, any endeavor. Because you know people see you when you're made. They see you when you're there. They don't see you when you're, you know, 15 year old kid right. laying on a cot crying and worrying, and 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 all athletes go through this. There's a lot of self doubt. There's a lot of sacrifice. You you give up, and and all of these guys that are in the NHL, and and we can go at other sports, but let's concentrate on the NHL. They had to leave home young. They had to go live with other families. The majority of them, you know, they they had to give up, you know, what you would call a normal childhood, because they had a dream, and and. It, it, I just hope people respect and understand the sacrifice that it takes to get to these levels. Um, you know, e even a guy, oh, he's a fourth liner. You know what? That fourth liner worked his tail off to get to where he is, and he's got my respect. I, I may still slander Michael Haley. You're going to have to forgive me for that one. Uh, <laughs> I to, to transition a little bit back to horses, one of my favorite things is when, I, when a horse pops up that has a name, that I can relate to as a either a hockey fan or a baseball fan. And over the years, there have been a couple of good hockey horses. Nyquist was on the Triple Crown circuit a couple of years ago. I think Landis Cog was entered in a Kentucky Derby two, three years ago. Who, who to you stands out as the best hockey-named horse that you've seen over the last couple of years? 
Well, uh, we're going to go back a little bit further, but there was a horse named Keekinen that hey. um, won the Bre- yeah won the Breeders' Cup. I mean, he he was a serious horse, serious turf horse, Keekinen. Um, you had a horse named Sean Avery um, who won Grade <laughs> One races. <laughs> you guys are giggling. Um, no, no, there's been a lot of uh, you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot of hockey players that are really into horse racing, whether it's harness racing or thoroughbred racing. Um, uh, I got a little bit friendly with Brandon Prust a few years ago, and, and you know, he liked the horses. Um, Mark Messier loved the horses. I, I, I remember seeing him out at Hollywood Park in California. The um, forum used to be right across like the parking lot from the racetrack and he was walking from the the forum to the racetrack because you know there, there was horse racing going on and you know, go have a little action so um yeah a, a lot of you know th- years ago there was a horse um royal ski owned by jerry cheevers the goalie for the bruins so so hockey and horse racing isn't that far apart um uh, Jules Villamure was a backup goalie for the Rangers, a goalie for the Rangers, backup goalie. And he actually came on a show with me to talk about racing and hockey. Um, and I had a story for him that I was, you know, he was really good friends with Roger Bear. And I guess he and Roger Bear had been like partners in some harness horses. When I was a kid, my oldest brother drove me and my other brothers out to um, Green Acres Mall in Valley Stream because Roger Bear was signing autographs, and yeah, you know, we went out in like this old Pinto or Duster. I can't even remember what it was. Like it's falling apart. I, I can't even believe we made it to Valley Stream from Brooklyn, and we waited online for like two hours, and we're like eight people away from getting Roger Bear's autograph, and we're flipping out. This is Roger Bear, and oh, they closed the line. This is your Bear's uh-huh. son. He's got to go. And and I actually told um, Jules Villamere, I said, I wasn't a, a Roger Bear fan anymore, you know. <laughs> and he loved it. He's like, oh, I can't wait to talk to him. I'm going to give it to him. He disappointed your kids. And But, you, you know, listen, I, I, now as an adult, I know the demands on athletes. And, you, you know, you try to do the best you can for everybody and not, you know, discourage anybody or, or make anybody feel less than. But, it's difficult. There's, there's just so many demands on, on again, young guys. I'm, I'm actually looking at the Rangers roster right now, right? You know, and I'm looking at, if I was better at math, I would do the averages in my head, but I'm not. I mean, I, I did leave school. For, for age, ages, you mean? I know, yeah, uh, yeah, well, I know they're, they're the second youngest team entering the play-in round. Only the Blue Jackets are younger than the Rangers. Okay, wow. Uh, saying something uh, and that's with Henrik hey. Lundqvist's age in there if you take that out we probably are the youngest team <laughs> well I think Hank is still very capable um love this team you guys brought up coaching what what did you think of uh John Totorell oh I missed <laughs> I missed Torts. <laughs> I, yeah I I it's complicated I love John Totorella, the coach and the character but I also admit that the New York Rangers might be in a better place without John Tortorella. It's, it's Again, a... another tough task maker, maybe not allowing guys to be who they are. Like, you know, like a jockey. I always tell young jockeys, and, I, and I, I taught the apprentice jockey program at the New York Racing Association for a number of years. You want to be a chameleon, meaning 
don't make a horse fit your style. You have to be able to fit every horse's style and, and maximize their ability. Don't, don't try to fit them into your framework. And I love John Tortorella too. And I like the discipline factor and I love his intensity, but I think he's always trying to make guys fit into his system as opposed to allowing them to play to their strengths. And uh, the team you have right now, I, I think they would be very unsuccessful trying to fit into a system like his. I agree. Totally. I think Torch does a tremendous job with what he's given out in Columbus. He's one of the better coaches in the NHL. I think he's proven that time and time again. I think when the Rangers got rid of him, it was the right time. Uh, Lehman Yo came in and kind of put his system in, which allowed those guys to succeed. But they wouldn't have gotten that far if Tortorella didn't build the foundation of sort of the toughness and I hate to use this toughness and grit that Tort gave to that team, uh, then used Elaine Vigneault's sort of strategy and coaching to make those cup runs. And I don't, I think if Tort stays during that time, I'm not sure they make those uh, those deep runs that they had at the same time. Yeah, he's just so entertaining, though. His quote, I think it was late last week when someone asked him, "Are you worried about Mike's picking up whatever it is you say?" on the bench and if you're going to adjust your language because of it. And he just goes, fuck no, <laughs> say what I say. <laughs> I, just, I just love to like, it's that stuff that makes me love Tortorella. But like you guys have said, it's, I love him. I still love him. I understand that the Rangers are probably in better hands without him. Well, I, I think that's the, the proper way to frame it. He, he's, you know, I, I like him. I, I like him as a coach. I, I, I think he's entertaining. I love that. He, he's not filtered. He's very honest. Um, you know, years ago, when staying on the backstretch to watch races at Saratoga became popular, you had a lot of families back there. Now, something happens in a race. You come out of the gate, and two horses come together, they squeeze you. You curse it, guys. I mean, it's just part of it. You go, you MF, or, you know. And I had the official starter come to me and say, listen, you know, we've got families back there. There's kids. I'm going to find you if you, you know. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try to be more cautious of it. Conscious of it. Two days later, I got squeezed. I call somebody, a, you know, even worse than an MFer. <laughs> I got a five hundred dollar fine. I mean, you know, but how do you control that in the heat of the moment, in the, in, in the midst of the battle? Right. Yeah, it's hard. I don't. I, I wouldn't be able to do it. Like sure. the Greg can't do it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That, 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 is, that is the truth. He yeah. is not lying. I am not. Uh, Richard, I, my last question. For someone who doesn't really watch horse racing, watched very little as a child with my father, um, how would someone begin to even get into horse racing in 2020? What, what is that process even like? Is there a particular – obviously, there's the big three races, right? But, like, how do you become a horse racing fan these days? Well, I, I think, you know, we have an opportunity right now with what we're doing at Fox Sports with the um, – you know, America's Day at the races and now Saratoga Live, where we're, we're literally on from 1 o'clock in the afternoon till 6, 6.30 in the evening. And I know I've, I've taken this responsibility very seriously. Like, I want to educate, and I try to um, bring people in and explain to them what they're seeing. Like, people see horses running. They don't understand the nuance. And I've tried to use a lot of analogies towards other sports that people can understand it. Like we show some workouts, right? We, we have a big horse working out. And it, it, the design of a workout in the morning for a horse isn't to beat the other horse he's working with. It's to gain more fitness from a physical perspective. It's to work on technique, how the style you want that horse to perform. Um, 
so try and explain to people this is like think about sparring with boxing you're not trying to knock each other out they're not trying to kill each other although sometimes it goes there but you're working on technique and you're working on fitness and again allowing people kind of to understand our game a little bit more and I want to get the guy's attention that's tired of watching the 98 World Series on replay because we don't have a tremendous amount of sports going right now. Um, and, wow, he, he said something that makes sense to me, grabbed my attention. We talked, you know, Mosienko with, with you know, the horse uh, being uh, by hat trick and Mosienko scoring the fastest hat trick in history in the NHL. I grabbed your attention, Craig, right? You, so, you did? Jumped right off the page. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm taking this responsibility very seriously. Horse racing is an amazing game. And the thing that we need to do better with racing is to allow people in. We, we've, for years, done a poor job of really educating people. And it, it, it seems overwhelming at times and daunting. And, um, you know, racing's not just sport it's not just entertainment it's not just gambling it's a hybrid of all three and it's our responsibility to make people understand that you come out have a great day see see some amazing athletes equine and human because riders you know again don't people can't relate because they're smaller than average guys but i'm going to tell you pound for pound and, and dr robert carlin out in california studies for years fittest toughest athletes um you know I, I could tell you some of the things i rode through different broken bones and i think that's why i like hockey so much too because hockey players are tough um you know i respect football players but they play every sunday hockey players play every other night sometimes two nights in a row you can't tell me the contact they're taking constantly and and the intensity uh is that much less than what they do on a sunday in the nfl um so, you know, I, I admire and appreciate dedication, toughness, and uh, a passion. And, and, and that's what you see in hockey players. And that's what you'd see with, with jockeys if we did a better job of marketing and promoting it. I think, yeah, I watched. Uh, a, I got to watch a clip of you doing some analysis on some uh, some horses on YouTube just right before this as a, just a little pre-research. And I have to say you did a tremendous job of, like, using buzzwords and terminology that a basic fan would understand, you know, like a certain trot comparatively to another athlete. And, uh, I have to say it was, um, it was alluring for a person who knows absolutely nothing about horse racing. So I appreciate what you're at least doing for the sport. And, and I'll add in there that I've learned more about, uh, classical pieces of art over the last three weeks from you and Acacia than I ever had (laughs) in like the last, Uh, however many years I've been going to museums in my lifetime. (laughs) Well, that, that, that's really funny because, like I'll see a name and don't understand and, and, and I, I'll, you know, it's easy now. You go to Google, right? You Google something and you go, uh, okay, what's this uh, uh, Johnny Pump? Now, growing up in Brooklyn, the Johnny Pump was a fire hydrant. And, you know, playing stickball, if you hit it past that Johnny Pump, it's a double. If you hit it past that one, it's a triple. That one a home run. You know, and I'm going, Johnny Pump, why is this person Johnny Pump? And, you know, came to find out that Peter Brandt bought this and I'm, forget the artist's name this piece that was johnny pump and he owns the horse now so you, you know you just try to come up with something different you try to come up with something entertaining um you don't want to be up there boring and just blah 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 you're, you're trying to educate and be entertaining at the same time uh richie last question for me and then we'll let you go because you've been way too generous with your time tonight 
I, a purely horse racing question for you. Uh, as mm-hmm. someone that went into the Triple Crown circuit, maybe the, one of the biggest Nadal fans in the nation, is Tiz the Law truly the best three-year-old this year, or is he kind of the best of the rest? Because we lost Nadal, we lost Charlatan, and I think we even lost Maxfield leading right up to the Belmont. So is Tiz the Law the number one because he's the last one standing, or do you think he would have been able to handle the other juggernauts going into the Triple Crown season? No, I, I think that's unfair to to uh, Tizzala. Tizzala was an extremely talented two-year-old who really made that step from uh, two to three. You know, think about a two-year-old horse like a high school athlete turning three, becoming a college athlete. Um, you know, the guy who was the best athlete, you know, in ninth grade might not be the best athlete coming out of ninth grade, right? Going into college or, 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 you know, how you might want to frame it. He was very talented, but here's the thing with his law. He showed very early in his career. He was extremely tough. Now horse doesn't, doesn't just need to be able to be fast and talented. They have to be tough, a good horse. And, and the way I explain it to people is, you know, a lot of horses can throw a punch. Not a lot of horses can take a punch. Tizzle Loss showed that in his second start of his life and all kinds of trouble bottled up, banged around, and pulled his way between horses and won. He's extremely talented, extremely professional. Um, I, I think any of the horses that we just talked about would have their hands full with him. I'm not saying they might not have beat him on a given day, but they would have had their hands full with him. He's, he's the real deal. He's absolutely the real deal. Uh, and then just we were talking about this before we started, but uh, a Martinez cocktail, two ounces of gin, three, <laughs> three quarter ounce sweet vermouth, a quarter ounce uh, maraschino liqueur, a dash of bitters and 11 twist garnish. That is what makes a Martinez. Sounds a wonderful uh, drink. I'm going to pass. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, why don't you go ahead and plug what you're doing uh, for Fox Sports and everything where people could find you and we'll send you your uh, off your way. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, I will be on uh, Saratoga Live on Fox Sports uh, starting 1 o'clock on Wednesday as well as Thursday and Sunday this week. I'll be on for uh, three-hour stretches. And uh, follow me at Richard Migliori on Twitter. We will be uh, retweeting you. Well, you know what? I I tried to get because my nickname as a rider was The Mick. Mm -hmm. And – I went to get it, and somebody had it already, so I had to just go with at Richard Migliori. But uh, um, really appreciate being on with you guys. Uh, love hockey, love horse racing, and love talking about it. Awesome. I just looked at the mix. He's a co-host of the wrestling podcast. What a loser. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks Richard. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, and thanks you so much for being on, man. Take care, guys. All right. Thanks so much to Richard. Hey, listen, great episode today. Follow me on Twitter at Orion Mead. Follow Greg at Bushwitch Break. And we'll be back this week with games three and four of the Vancouver series, the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll hope to see you guys there. Love you guys. Let us know what you thought. Bye. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.